the 2012 London Marathon, um, like most marathons, had some sub-stories that went with it. it the, the marathon was actually won by a Kenyan man, which that's not really a surprise because they're like the fastest long-distance running people in the world, uh, ran that 26.2 miles in a little less than two hours. But one of the stories that was interesting was a story of a lady named Simone Hall and her, I mean, Simone Clark and her friend Tally Hall. Simone was a 39-year-old woman, and she decided, hey, I'm gonna, I want to run the marathon. I'm going to uh, compete. It's kind of a, a bucket list type thing. But what made the story so interesting is Simone suffers from epilepsy. And on a regular basis, she has epileptic seizures along the way. And so she was looking for a friend, and that friend ended up being Tally Hall that would come alongside of her and train with her and run that marathon with her. And so the day came, 37,000 people showed up to run that London Marathon. They get out, and as they start running, things are going well till about the seven-mile mark. At the seven-mile mark, Simone had a stomach issue that kind of flared up with all the stress of running, and it triggered her first seizure. She had a seizure and passed out on the ground. Her friend Tally caught her. Later down, she was unconscious for 30 seconds, which you know that felt like an eternity when you're a friend in the middle of race, people running around you. She came to 30 seconds later, got up, and kept running. And over the next 18 plus miles, Simone, Hall, Simone Clark had 19 more seizures. And in every seizure, fell to the ground and was unconscious for at least 30 seconds. Crazy. And she finished the marathon in six hours, which isn't great time. But when, I mean, when you're taking naps along the way, that's, I mean, that's great and I, I, I read that story and it blows me away because I'm thinking about friendships and I'm thinking about what, what would I do for, what if I was Tally Hall and what if my a friend came to me and said, hey, would you, I mean, first of all, I'm not interested in running 26.2 miles, really for anybody. And if we were really honest, I'm not even interested in like a tag team where you run 26 and I run 0.2. I'm not even interested in that. I, I get like, ner I don't know, nervous is the word, anxious, thinking about standing on a street with 37,000 people all gathered around. I mean, that, even things like that, I'm more of an introvert. People don't think that because I get up and speak, but I, I, people that, you know, lots of them in crowds, that drains energy. Thinking about 37,000 people all trying to go one place or another is enough for me to tap out and go, yeah, maybe we find you a new friend. Let me, let me be your prayer support for the marathon and we'll find my wife. She could run for you. You know, we get a tag team. Um, and it sounds rude, but I'm not interested in playing catch a friend for 18 miles either. I mean, it, that's a lot of pressure. So, I mean, somebody's having a seizure, and you got to catch them and make sure they don't fall and hurt themselves. But as you, as you look at these two people, Simone and Tally, I don't think any of us would struggle with the comment or, or maybe or even disagree if we said that Tally loves this friend, Simone. She did a lot. And love is measured by loyalty. And, and what you see in the story of these two people is you see a friend who is, has some pretty strong ties, some pretty strong loyalty, and it's because of that, all of these things that she would do that we would look and we'd go, yeah, they, th those two friends love each other. 
And we're going to journey into this uh, series for five weeks. Starting this week, we're going to talk with teenagers on Wednesday night, this same message. If you haven't been with us before, I'm going to do the same message on Wednesday night for students at, at Collide. And the reason why we do it this way is we want you as parents to have the, ha- have the preview of what's going to happen this week so that when your teenagers come in on Wednesday night and they, they hear this message, you've already been talking about it at home. And they go, yeah, yeah I've heard this before somewhere along the way. And so this becomes a family idea that this week you guys would talk about in your homes the idea of love and loyalty and how they're connected. And, and that's, a, that's a big deal because we wrestle with things like that. I mean, what do we do? What do we do when a friend hurts us? I mean, you, you've shared something with them, something in confidence. Maybe it's something with a teenager or something at work. You shared it in confidence and it was meant for you and that friend. And then you find out that they, they didn't purposefully do it they let it slip to some other people. And now you're dealing with a firestorm because the friend hurt you. How, how does loyalty to that friend play in the picture then when you're hurt? Or this may be more students than, than adults, but what about when well, maybe it's a Super Bowl party this afternoon and you're kind of circle people that you thought were pretty close friends. Maybe it's everybody in your small group circle, and you find out that somebody's having a Super Bowl party, and it seems like everybody you know is going to their house, but, but your invite didn't get there somehow or another. And then they didn't purposely try to hurt you, but, all, but man, that hurts because you're not really connected with the people that you thought you were. For a teenager, you know, what, what do they do when they like a girl and their buddy then starts dating the girl they like? Not, not intentional hurting people, but, but we've been hurt by people that we're close to. And, and we start to then struggle with this concept that love is measured by loyalty. Or what about when relationships change? Not that somebody hurts you, you just, you were friends with somebody, you were close with somebody. For us as parents, it might even be a teenager. that They've changed since they were little, Right? I mean, there was a time when they wanted to hang out with you, and now not, not so much anymore. You know, there was a time when they thought you were the funniest person in the house, and, and now you're the dumbest. And something happened along the way. Relationships changed. It may not be a kid, but it may be a friendship. One of my high school, uh, college buddies, one of my closest friends, in, all, in, in a short amount of time, through a year or two of college, we became very close. And then things changed. Over the course of a summer, and I've told some of the story before, he went home for the summer, he ended up meeting a girl, made some decisions that uh, ended up kind of changing his life because he ended up getting this girl pregnant. And they ended up obviously having a child together and then getting married. He dropped out of school. Afterwards, after I finished school, he was living in the Fort Worth area and I had to move up to Fort Worth to go to seminary. And so we had this relationship through the first two years of college that was very close. Roommates and man, one of my best friends. And he said, hey, you can come rent a room in our house, which was blocks from the seminary. I could have walked there. And in Fort Worth, that's, that's a pretty good deal. So I move in, but it just wasn't the same. I mean, his life was now different. It wasn't that he hurt me accidentally. His world was different. We weren't, we weren't college students hanging out in a dorm anymore. At that point, he was married and had three kids. I, I was single and going to school, and you know I was working and then going to school at night. We, we were just in two different worlds. And our relationship changed. Not, not right or wrong, but if we say that 
love is measured by loyalty, then we can look back at that re- friendship and we go, well, well, how much does loyalty play into this picture of this best friend? Or we wrestle with when somebody actually betrays us. Not hurts us accidentally. Relationship doesn't change. They did something that was an utter betrayal. And we go, man, I loved them. And you're now telling me that love is measured by loyalty. What do I do with this relationship? And now here's where this week's talk and discussion in your home is gonna be really interesting. Because we can say that love is measured by loyalty. And we're gonna look at a passage of scripture in a second. We're gonna journey through the book of Ruth over the next five weeks. And we're gonna see that and we're gonna look at some New Testament passages and you'll see that love is measured by loyalty. But the Bible actually gives us, gives us some teachings that allow us out of loyalty. For example, Jesus talks about marriage. Marriage, the ultimate commitment, the ultimate relationship, the relationship that is supposed to model for the rest of the world out here what it's like for God to love his people. God says in his scripture through his prophets, I hate divorce, I don't, uh, divorce, it's not a good thing. Yet, Jesus says, when they talk to Jesus about marriage and divorce, Jesus gives this caveat that says, hey, if, you're, if your spouse has committed adultery, you could walk away from that relationship. Now, that doesn't mean you have to. It doesn't mean that that's actually what God would want you to do, but there's an allowance for loyalty to come to an end. Jesus gives us that, and that's kind of a hard teaching. So as we're talking about this, love is measured by loyalty, understand that even in Scripture, there's some times where it's just not black and white, clear cut. <coughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's an idea that we have to wrestle with. And I keep using that, that, that phrase because that's the best one I can think of. There's going to be some tension. Ricky and I, my college friend, we're, just, we're different now. We don't live in the same city. We don't see each other. How loyal am I to that relationship now? We were best friends. The world changed. If love is measured by loyalty and I love him, what does that look like? And so this is going to be some gray area for us. We know the truth. Love is measured by loyalty. But how does that look? How does that play out in our lives? That's what you and your teenagers this week are going to get to talk about. And it's, it's moments like this, honestly, that create some tension. They create some, un- un- some uncomfortability. But they're also going to create some great moments for you to have that discussion. But I want you to look with me. I want you to look at the book of Ruth. In Ruth chapter 1, we see this incredible picture of love being measured by loyalty. And we're going, to get, we're going to start in verse 16, but let me tell you what's happened. There's a gentleman named Elimelech and his wife Naomi. And, and they are Jewish people. They live in Israel. But a famine comes into the land of Israel and food is scarce. And, and they've got two sons and they're kind of figuring out, hey, how do we manage life right now? You know, in our world, it would be, hey, I just, you know, unemployment rates are up. I lost my job. I got to <coughs> feed my kids. So they make a decision to leave Israel and move to another country called Moab. They move to Moab, and while they're there, Elimelech and Naomi's two sons marry girls from Moab. So they've married some girls from a foreign country that have different religion, they have different beliefs. And in a pretty short time after moving, Elimelech dies. And so now there's Naomi, and she's widowed with her two boys and her two daughter-in-laws. And shortly after that, both of her boys pass away. 
So here's this widowed woman in this tragic moment. No husband, no sons. And if you go back to Old Testament times, that's more than just being widowed. There's there's some economic problems because there's no way for her to, to survive, to work, to have a job. And so she, as this is happening, hears that God has provided food back in Israel, and she makes this decision, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back to where my people are because I, I'm not going to be able to work here. I need, I'm going to need help. I'm going to need somebody to support me. Um, and, and there's actually more food, apparently, where I'm from than there is here in Moab. And so she makes this decision to go back, and she brings her two daughter-in-laws. Now, remember, they're from Moab. They're not Israelites. And she says to her two daughter-in-laws, you guys stay here. You guys stay here in your country. Go back to your people. Go back to your family. And, and, and be really honest, you've got the best chance to get married again. She even says, you know, why, you, there's no reason to come with me. There, there's nobody for you. Even in my elderly state, if I got married again and actually could have children and I had some more boys, you'd have to wait 16, 17, 18 years from that point to get married. That, that doesn't make, make sense. This, this family tie is now severed. You go back home. Both daughters, daughter-in-laws argue. They, they don't want to go. She, she basically says, no, you've got to. One of them goes back, and then Ruth says this. Look in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you from me. Now, I love my mother-in-law. But let this sink in for a moment. You're a young, now single, widowed woman. Your chances of being married again which isn't just relationship and love, your chances of being married again and having an economic future are somewhere between slim and none, unless you go home. And Ruth is at this crossroads. Do I love this woman, Naomi, who I have a relationship with now, or do I look out for myself and, I, and, and go my own way? Do I travel with the widowed woman who really has nothing and try to do something for her because I, I sense this love connection and I'm going to be loyal to her because love is measured by loyalty and I show my love to her by being loyal and walking with her or do I go back? One daughter-in-law goes back. And if we were really honest, the vast majority of us in this room would have been that daughter-in-law. I, I can't put myself in that shoes to really have been there and know that and walk that. But I'm going to tell you right now, in a moment of honesty, I would have probably been the other daughter-in-law. I would have been like, hey, here's some money and a map, you know, and a camel. Write me when you get there, you know. Uh, but Naomi, Naomi, I mean, Ruth has this, Ruth has this heart for her mother-in-law. And, 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 and her love for her mother-in-law is expressed in this ultimate act of loyalty. And, and, and Ruth says this, where you go, wherever it is, I'm going. And where you die, there's, there's loyalty. Where you die, I'm staying it to the end. Where you die, I'll die. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with you to the end of your life, and I'll be buried next to you. And she even says, 
This is one of the discussion questions I think that you'll have this morning. Your God will become my God. Remember, she's from another country. She's been raised believing other things. But it's this love for uh, Naomi. She says, you know what? I'm going to change even what I believe to be loyal to you. Now, that's going to open up a can of worms when you have that discussion with your kids. Would you be willing to change what you believe for somebody that you love? Good luck. It's going to be fun. That, but that's part of the, the spiritual questions and this faith journey you're going to have with kids this week. But she shows this ultimate sacrifice, and she goes. I love that story. But you know what? It's not just an Old Testament idea. It's not just one story in Ruth that, that teaches us that love is measured by loyalty. Look at Romans chapter 8. It's in the New Testament. If you flip over to your New Testament, um, you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are what we call the Gospels, um, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. And then you'll have Acts, and you'll have a book called Romans. And Romans is this deep theological treatise written by Paul. And in Romans 8, we get this, we get this picture of God. Now, we've been saying that love is measured by loyalty. Look at what Paul says about God in verse 38. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that, isn't that a picture of God? God is love. That's what 1 John says. God is love. We, we understand love by looking at God. And God is in his ultimate love, shows ultimate loyalty that says, you know what? When you and I are in relationship, when Jesus Christ enters into your life and, and he becomes boss of your life, you accept salvation that came on the cross. You believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead and you're a follower of Jesus. When you love me and we have that love covenant, neither height nor depth, there's not angels, there's not demons, there's nothing in creation that would cause us to be separated. There's nothing that makes a God who loves you lose loyalty to you. How powerful is that? It's not just Ruth. It's a picture of God. God says, you know what? When we're in a covenant relationship, I'm with you. You go back and travel through the Old Testament. If you read Genesis through Malachi, you go through the whole thing and you read the ups and downs of the Israelite people, the people that God had covenanted with. They did stupid thing after stupid thing after stupid thing. And they, they suffered consequences. Consequences don't mean that, that God doesn't love. Consequences don't mean that, that God is disloyal, right? I mean, you understand that as a parent. I mean, my seven-year-old tells me, all of, when she's in trouble, you don't love me. And I'm like, no, I, I'm whipping you because I do love you. You know, that, that's how it works. Because God disciplines those he loves. That's what the scripture says. Consequences doesn't mean that God is disloyal or he doesn't love us. He's, he's never walking away. Because love is measured by loyalty. And when you have a covenant relationship with God, like the, like the Israelites did, even though he... he Discipline them over and over again. He always came back to save the day. Because ultimate love is measured by ultimate loyalty. Now we're going to talk through that this week. You're going to have some time in a little bit to talk in your small groups, a few minutes. But we're also going to have some time with your students. If you don't understand how to use the app, I'm going to hang around afterwards. We've got an app that we want to install on your phone that you can, during the course of the week, 
click on it, it's going to have this logo that's been up here that says Love Better. And it's going to have week one, which is this week. And it's going to have a couple of questions for you to talk with your kids about during the course of this week. If you don't have that yet, I'll stay around and show you how to do it. If you do have that, make sure you're using it because we want to dialogue. But what do we do? What, what are some things that we really need to kind of to, to put grips on so that we don't just walk out of here going, okay, I can repeat that bottom line that love is measured by loyalty. loyalty. How do we live it? I want to I give you three things to wrestle with through this as well. And one is this. We've got to remember that love is defined by God. And what I mean by that is there are going to be moments for you, I guarantee you, for your, for your students, where they're going to be loyal and it won't be loving. Because love is measured, it's defined by God, therefore loyalty has to look like the character of God. Let me give you an example. About a year ago, there was a trial and it made national news. It was... It, these things unfortunately happen a lot, but there were some teenagers that were at a party, and I think one of them was 18 or 19. A, a young lady at the party drank too much, um, passed out uh, from being intoxicated. Uh, two guys took her into a back room, and they raped her, and they took pictures, and they made some videos, and it was national news because they were, un- they were it was under trial, and the guy said, no, we didn't do it. Well, one of the things that broke the case was they seized all the teenagers that were there, they seized their phones. And they started going through the text messages of one of the young men who was accused of raping this girl. And in the text messages, he had sent text messages to friends saying, hey, they're probably going to take our phones, delete your text messages, which he didn't even do, nor did many of his friends. He had a text message that went to a friend, out to a friend, and, and in the text message, I'm paraphrasing, I don't have it memorized, obviously, but he said, if they ask you, Just tell them that she passed out and that we were just helping her to a room to lay down and that you were there and nothing happened. And the friend responded back because they had the text dialogue. He said, perfect, I'll just tell them that. Loyalty, but not really. Because love is defined by God. So we as we wrestle through loyalty and we think about our spouses and we think about our kids and we think about our close friends, we're talking about intimate relationships this week, I mean this month. As we're looking at those and we're wrestling, am I loyal? One of the questions we have to ask is what would Jesus do in a situation such as this? How does the character of God enter into this this dilemma that I'm having? And, And what we would have found out is that that moment of quote unquote loyalty when the friend said, hey, I'll cover it up, was not an act of love because love is defined by God and God in his character would not allow a girl to be raped and justice not be served. So that's one of the things we've got to remember. We've got to help our teenagers, probably more than us, maybe. I don't know, maybe you're wrestling through something like this, but help them understand that loyalty isn't always loving. And that's going to be some of the dialogue, some of the confusion. (coughs) But we have to remember that love is, is defined by the character of God. So if it doesn't look like God, it's not love. And if it doesn't look like God and it's not love, then we're not, loyalty's not even an issue. Does that make sense? We gotta remember that because we, we, we define loyalty in different ways. If it's something that is hurting people, that's not loving and it's not good loyalty. So we gotta remember that as we process through things. What would Jesus do in this situation? Because love is defined by God. Here's the second thing. Love and loyalty protect from the devil. Because if you love somebody, if you love anybody, 
and I told you that somebody was coming to steal from that person, I told you that somebody was coming to kill that person, I told you that somebody was coming to destroy that person and you loved them, you would do something about it. And that's what Jesus said the devil does. The devil's here to steal, kill, and destroy from us. And so if we are going to love people, and if we're going to love them better, we've got to remember it's not just looking at the situations through the eyes of God and his character, but also understand that, that loving people and being loyal to them means protecting them from the devil. Your kids, your spouse, your neighbor, your best friend, whoever it is that you're in these close relationships with. And what does that look like? I don't know because every situation is different, but let me ask you this. If loyalty means constant support, which is the definition of what it is, then that means I'm going to be constantly supporting my spouse or my kids in prayer. I'm not just praying for them when bad things happen because love is measured by loyalty. My prayer life on a daily basis is praying for my children praying for my spouse, praying for those close friends that I love. Now, I'm going to pray for a lot of people, and you're going to come along the way and give me prayer requests, and I'm going to, and I'm going to do that. But I'd love to pray intimately for the 1,300 people that come to First Baptist Georgetown on a Sunday. But in reality, when I have those get down on my knees, go into the closet, driving to work, <coughs> praying specifically and praying uh, by name, I'm praying for those close people and the prayer requests that I have. And so that ought to be a constant thing, constantly praying for the people that I'm in a love relationship with, constantly encouraging them, not just praying for them, but challenging them, pushing them on. My wife and I are doing right now a devotional together. And so <clears throat> what we do is when I read the devotional, I put my initial on the page and I put it on her nightstand. And then when she finishes that same one, she puts it back on my nightstand. And then, and then after a couple of days, we'll go through and talk about the two or three different devotional passages at a time. That's, that's encouragement. When, she, when, I, when I see that devotional on my nightstand, I know she's caught up with me and she's pushing me on to walk closer with Jesus. And to be honest, I'm not going to put it off that many days. Because after three or four days, if it's still sitting on my nightstand because I haven't been spending time in the Word, I just start, I mean, I feel bad, you know, because I'm like, I need to move it over to, to hers, let her feel bad for a little bit, you know. Uh, but that, that's a part of, uh, of consistency. That's a part of loyalty. That's a part of being there moment by moment and day by day. It's constant prayer. It's constant encouragement. It's challenging them to do the right thing at the right time. If you love people, you do that. And you're doing that because you want to protect them from the devil who wants to steal, kill, and destroy Here's the third thing. You got to commit to the long journey. If you're going to be loyal to someone, and you're, again, you, you've got to think through this. What does it look like? Again, I've got a friend that lives in Fort Worth that we used to be close. We're not anymore. How does loyalty fit in? But you're going to walk through this, but you're going to have to decide if you're going to be loyal to people, if you're going to love them better, it's going to be a long journey. There's going to be some ups and downs. We've got a young man, his name's Lane Malikian. Some of you know him. He grew up in this youth ministry. He's a, a student at Texas A&M. And uh, I guess it was his senior year, might have been his junior year. Um, at the end of his high school, his, his mother, uh, Wendy Malikian, passed away from brain cancer. Uh, Benny, her, her uh, widower, is one of our life group leaders. She was connected here, and it was, a, it was a big event in the life of our youth ministry and church. About a year or so after her passing, uh, Lane wanted to do something. 
And he started an organization called Wendy's Wish, named after his mom. And actually, it collided on Wednesday nights in our last series. When we did our offering, it went towards Wendy's Wish. And Wendy's Wish exists to help people who are struggling through cancer, to help them financially, help network them to resources in their community. Um, and it's a, it's a new organization, helped about four families last year, looking to expand up to six or more this year. But in order to do that and to raise awareness, he had this desire on his heart from almost, almost the moment his mom passed away that he was going to ride his bike halfway across the country. And I remember when he was talking about it, and a lot of his friends were like, I'm going to do it too. And I was, you know, I was thinking like the marathon lady at first. I was like, okay, prayer support. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not riding bikes with you. This last summer, they went out to the East Coast, and they got on their bikes. This is actually a picture of them off of a, a website, him and a couple of buddies, and they rode their bikes from the East Coast back to Georgetown. But along the way, they had some moments. They're in the East Coast. They get into a storm where there's tornadoes all around, 50-mile-an-hour winds. And when that's all you've got in that picture, that's bad news. You know, when, I mean, you, your, your little bike that weighs, you know, two pounds isn't going to do you very well in a tornado. Storms, rain multiple times. During the tornado, they actually, they pull off the road. They're out in the middle of nowhere. They go and knock on a stranger's door because they're not to their campsite. They had planned along the way to stop at campgrounds. They knock at this stranger's door, like out in the woods, you know, and like in Virginia. And this guy's like, come on in, you know. I, I might risk the tornado, you know. They get in the hills and the mountains of West Virginia, and they have no cell signal, and they're behind schedule. They had a car with them that was, would go up ahead, and they're behind schedule. They're not going to make it to the meeting point at night, and they're in the hills of West Virginia with no cell phone. You think the, the stranger in the cabin in Virginia, that's dangerous. The hills of West Virginia with no, no, no contact with the outside world. He said they were riding along and they'd come places as they'd mapped it out. They'd get to a place and they're on their bikes and they're riding through the, the mountains and, and they'd come to a point where the road just turned to a gravel road. That wasn't shown on the map. They're just tracing and all they've got is their bikes and so they're picking up their bikes and they're walking several miles down the gravel road. A couple other campsites that they had charted along the way. They get to the campsite that's on the map and they get there and there's nothing there. And that's where they're supposed to sleep for the night because they've already ridden their 70 miles or whatever they're going to do for the day. They've got some stories from their trip. They also had a car that, that would go up ahead of them and wait and then meet them in, in case of emergencies. There's some of those moments where it would have been easy to go, you know what? We rode, you know, from the East Coast to Tennessee. That's, that's pretty good. But they loved an organization. Lane loved his mother. And they were committed to the long journey. And there's going to be some people that you have relationships with now that are going to test your love and they're going to test your loyalty. And you're going to have to walk through what does it look like to love better. And I keep reiter reiterating this point. There are some things in Scripture that I can, I can point to and say, this is what you should do. But relationships are different. You need to take the story of Ruth and take the story of Naomi and look at how she loves her mother-in-law. Look at Romans 8. Look at the character of God. Look at how Jesus, and go, how do, I, how do I love better when it comes to loyalty? And here's why. So there's some bad news and some good news. 
There was a research done in 2006, which again is a little bit dated, but I don't think things have changed. And what they discovered is for adults, that when they asked how many relationships do you have that you could share intimate details with, that several years ago, the average number was 2.9 people that we had. In 2006, in the course of a decade or so, that number had dropped to 2.06. We'd almost lost a full friend. In 2012, the New York Times, this is recent, did an article. And in the article, it talked about 30s and 40-somethings and said, you know what? The world is changing. 30s and 40-somethings no longer have BFFs, best friends forever. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe you have a close friend. But what we're discovering is we're becoming more isolated and we're losing intimate relationships in which we can love better. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. What would it do to a community if you changed that? What would it look like in Georgetown, Texas, Liberty Hill, Texas, Pflugerville, Round Rock, Taylor, wherever you're from, if you went, you know what? God has called me to love better. God has called me in these relationships, these friends that I have, to go the extra mile, to be loyal when no one else is loyal, to move from 2.06 friends back to three or four friends that, are, that I can share intimately with and they can share intimately with me. It's not, it's not easy. And for most of us, we're going to have to change patterns in which we live now. We live in an isolation world. We live where we really don't have time. We're so busy. And, and deep relationships take time. Deep relationships take commitment. We're gonna have to change some things we do. But what would happen if we went from two people that we were investing and sharing life with and we doubled that to four? Think about the impact this room alone would have if there were two more people that you were sharing life in your walk with Jesus with, deeply, intimately, sharing what God was showing you, being there to cry with, to cheer with, to pray for, to encourage on, that ripple effect would begin to change the communities in which we live. And people might just start looking at a church that says they want to love God and love people and love the church and love the community and might go, you know what? Those people do love. That'd be pretty incredible. But you've got a lot to work with this week as you think through relationships and what does loyalty look like. I'm gonna close this in prayer. Um, we're gonna have some time to uh, talk in our small groups um, to, to work through this and then we'll dismiss you to head to your class. Let's pray.